Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. We have good news in the life of our church this week. We sent a bunch of kids up to Forest Home for their, their summer camp, and one of the kids on our camp decided to follow Jesus this week. And so every week here at Real Life, when we hear a story of somebody who has decided to follow Jesus for the first time, we light what we call our faith candle, and uh, that is just a way of celebrating the good news that we have that somebody made that important decision to say, hey, I think Jesus is for me and I'm for him uh, and I want to learn more of what that means. I want to spend my life uh, growing in Christ. And so we celebrate that and that is why we send kids to camp uh, and that is, that is good news for us this week. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Know What I Like About Jesus. I say in the middle of, we're at the tail end of a series called Know What I Like About Jesus. And uh, today I want to talk about uh, another way that Jesus sets us free. Uh, let's start with prayer. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you came into this world not to scold us or condemn us, not to expose us or to shame us, but to love us and to set us free and to release us to new life and healthy life and lives lived in love. I ask that your spirit would come and dwell in us, that we might know you fully, that we might experience your presence, that we might live in your healing. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we've got, a, we've got a lot going on in the life of the church these days. Uh, I've been telling you about this in recent weeks, and I'm going to repeat it every week because uh, I know no matter how many times I say it, when we finally get to the point where we do something new, someone will say, you never told us. And so I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again until we get there. We've got all kinds of neat things coming this fall in the life of real life. Starting this month on August 29th, which is a Sunday, we're going to have our big Vision Day party, which uh, you may remember from years past. Uh, we'll have it at the Glendora campus, 6 p.m. There will be uh, bouncy houses for the kids, a band, great music, uh, hot dogs, uh, a good time to hang out, meet, meet some new people, bring some friends along, and then we'll all gather together out there on the lawn uh, and talk a little bit about the vision and the future of the church. And I honestly am more excited, I'm definitely more excited about the year to come than I was about the last two years, but I am more excited about the year to come than I think maybe any year in the life of our church. Uh, there, are, there are amazing things coming down the line. And I've told you about some of them already. We're going to open up the chapel with a band so that there's a full worship experience in a second room in anticipation of the fact that this fall we will open up the Glendora campus for a worship experience and we'll be worshiping in three venues in two buildings at the same time on Sunday mornings. Uh, and that's a lot of excitement. Meanwhile, we're trying to launch a Spanish-speaking worship service. That'll be a great new addition to the life of our church uh, and, uh, and more to come. So anyway, there's, there's a lot going on, and I was thinking about this uh, this week, and, and what that all reminds me of is one of these puzzles uh, that you may have played with before where it's, a, it's called a slide puzzle where there's one empty square, and in order to get all the blocks where they need to go, you can only 
move one square at a time. And so, you know, you're working on a picture and you have to think about which, which square should go where next. I think that's, no, that's not where face goes. You have to kind of move the pieces around to, to try to line up. This isn't working. I'm not doing this right. To line up where they need to go. And uh, thinking about the, the future of real life is a lot like this. It's a lot like, well, I know I, I got to have a service over here, but there are people who want a service at that time, so I need to have a service at that time. So maybe we can open up a room over there, and, uh, and uh, eventually maybe some of the pieces will get in place, but it, we never seem to have the empty space where we want it. There's always an empty space. It's just not in the right place. And I, I have the feeling some of our times together are going to be like that. And as a pastor, I have the option of viewing this in one of two different ways. I can view the, the puzzle pieces that we are moving around here at Real Life as a worrisome burden, or I can view them as the next place through which God is going to shine. And those are really my options. Emotionally, those are our options as we face all of life. We can uh, view the challenges and uh, turmoil that we face in life as worrisome burdens, or we can view them as the next thing through which God is going to shine. And today I want to talk about something that a lot of us approach as a worrisome burden. Uh, and the subject is money. A lot of us approach money with nothing but panic. How am I going to pay off my debts? And how am I supposed to save for the future? And how am I going to have enough? But my question for us today is going to be this. Is money meant to be a worrisome burden, a, a puzzle that we're always trying to move around? Uh, maybe if I... Maybe if I uh, want to go on vacation, I can, uh, I can postpone the credit card debt, but if I postpone the credit card debt, then I'm probably going to have to, I'm probably going to have to put off college savings for a year or two, and if, if I put off college savings for a year or two, I'm going to have to make that up somewhere. Maybe I could stop having a latte every day, and if I stop having a latte every day, I'll save about five bucks a day, but Honestly, then I'm going to need therapy, and therapy costs a lot of money, so how am I going to afford the therapy bills that I have to pay for not being able to have a latte every day? Well, uh, maybe I can, um, you know what, I bet I could, I need some rest is what I need. I should take a vacation. I could, you know how I could make, you know how I could get money for vacation if, if I uh, stopped tithing uh, to the church, I'd have money for vacation. Lord, don't, don't look as I do this, all right, Lord. Um, Money becomes this worrisome burden in which we're always trying to shuffle the pieces around in order to get what we want and where we want it. By the way, just, a, just another heads up for the fall, we're bringing back a, a class that we've offered in the past called Financial Peace University, which is a tremendous curriculum that teaches you good financial stewardship so that you feel like you have a good command of what's going on in your finances as opposed to being confused by it. And it's taught by a couple of great guys who go to our church. So keep an eye out for that when we announce that. If, uh, if you've never taken it before, or even if you have, you might want to take that again. That's a great great class. But here's, here's the choice that we have to face when we deal with money. Is money going to be a worrisome burden for us? Is it going to be a puzzle that we are always juggling around stressfully, or is it going to be the next thing that God shines through? Do you remember that passage in the Gospel of John chapter 9, where the disciples of Jesus come across a guy who has been born blind, and the disciples are in a judgy mood that day, and they say, what's wrong with this guy? Was it, was it his parents who sinned and that's why he was born blind or did he do something and he deserved it and that's why he was born blind 
And Jesus says, it's not either of those reasons. He's like this so that God's glory might be displayed through him. He's like this so that God's glory might be displayed through him. Faith is the assurance that God can see where we are blind. I can't see how my burdens might one day become a a place of transformation so that when people see what God has done in my life, they may come to faith themselves. I I can't see that future, but I bet God can see it. I can't see how God will take on my financial struggles and redeem them so that his promises sink even deeper into my heart. I can't see it, but I bet God can. Faith is the assurance that God can see what we are blind to. You know what I like about Jesus? He turns my blind spots into blessings. And I think with whatever struggles we go through, he intends to do the same. Look at this story about somebody who uh, made the decision to put their money puzzle down in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Listen to this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she has to live on. If you've heard this story before, if you've grown up in church and you've heard this story before, I want to to break us of our childhood reading of this. I want us to reread this with fresh eyes. Because you may have heard this story before, but you've gotten used to ignoring it. This story for us is a lot like a coffee table that we keep in our living room that we've walked past a thousand times without paying any attention to it. It's scratched, it's deteriorating, it's ready to go, and we just ignore it. I can walk around the coffee table in my living room without dinging my knee on the corner because I know where exactly it is. It's never moved. And we're used to walking past this passage a thousand times and not paying any attention to it. Uh, If you've been going to church for a while, you can do this too. We can walk past this passage and ignore it like an old coffee table. We treat this passage like the woman in this passage most likely would have been treated in her day. In the first century world, women were second-class citizens anyway. And widows were virtually useless in the eyes of society. People would have seen her as a burden to take on. Her family of origin might not have taken her back in. And while in the Jewish culture there was a deep emphasis on hospitality, if someone was in need, you were to take them in. I, I know people. And I imagine people back then thought, well, it's, you know, it's one more mouth to feed. Maybe, maybe somebody else can do it. And people got used to walking around this woman, the way we walk around this text, the way we walk around an old coffee table. But Jesus didn't walk around her. Jesus didn't miss this little act that she did with these little coins. And I want us to reread this passage the way Jesus saw it, what he saw going on in front of him. Look at the context of this passage here in in Mark 12. Bear in mind, as we look at biblical passages, the numbers that you see in your Bible, the chapters and the verses, those were added like a thousand years after Jesus. Those were not in the original text. And the little little title headings, like your your Bible probably says, uh, 
a widow's offering, right? Or if you have an older Bible, it says the widow's might, right? Those are a fairly modern invention. Those were not in the original text either. So in the ancient text for Mark, this was all just one long passage. This just came, this just connected to what came before and after it. On, on top of that, the Gospels are not necessarily written in chronological order. The things in the Gospels are not put where they are because the Gospel writer Mark or Luke was saying, Jesus did this, and then next he did this, and then next he did this. They actually had some say over where they put things in their writing. And here's how Mark has landed this tiny little story about this tiny little woman making this tiny little offering. Mark 11 through 13 are all passages about religious hypocrites who like to call attention to themselves. These passages are all about Pharisees who want to fight with Jesus because Jesus is spending time with the wrong kinds of people, and the Pharisees, meanwhile, want to call attention to themselves. Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the last week of his life, and they taunt him, and he rebukes them, and they try to trap him, and he evades them. The chapters Mark, uh, Mark 11 through 13 are all Jesus' fight with the Pharisees, and in the midst of all these arguments, right in the center, Mark has placed the story of the widow's offering. It's not an accident. Mark is, Mark is calling attention to this place by making it central in the midst of a bunch of other stuff that he is contrasting it with. If you want to hear the context verbally, this is how the context goes. Religious hypocrites are terrible. This lady got it exactly right. We should do like her. She knew exactly what was up. She was doing it the right way. Religious hypocrites are terrible. That's how Mark is calling attention to this passage. It's not a small passage. Mark is subtly making it the, the center of a bigger narrative. So let's stop walking around this woman in this passage like we walk around an old coffee table. Jesus, God in human form, the God of the universe, highlighted her, called out her action and said, look at what she's doing. This is the right way to do it. Mark subtly places it in the center of a narrative to say, look at what a contrast this is from the world of religious hypocrites around her. You and I, I don't know, we may look at her and go, yeah, she's amazing the way an Olympic athlete is amazing. It's incredible, but I'm never going to do that. Pause a second uh, and ask yourself a couple questions. Reflect on this woman's life. What do you think her story was? Because all we see is this little snapshot, but she had a more interesting story than just this one event. What do you think her story was? This might be, this event might be the conclusion of a much longer story. She may have spent her life very wealthy and struggling with the love of money, and this is the one point at which she puts the money puzzle down. I suspect that after this, she didn't walk out on the temple steps and starve to death. I mean, the God of the universe just said, she's doing it right. I bet she lived a pretty incredible life after this. I bet she was supernaturally provided for in all kinds of ways. I bet she had a rich prayer life, and I bet God answered her prayers. I bet if we, if we saw her life story, we could write a book about it. And this would just be one interesting story in the midst of a bunch of others because it takes a pretty special person to decide, I'm just going to give it all up for God and see what happens. I bet this woman was actually pretty incredible. And it's a shame this is all we see because I bet she had a bigger story than this. What do you think the story of her life was? Think about this person. Think about who she was. And then ask the second question, the question that Jesus is calling us to, 
does Jesus want me to do what she did? And if I rush to say no, the answer is probably yes. If I rush to say no, it's because I love money and I am afraid to put the puzzle down myself. And that is why Jesus calls attention to her. She is a force to be reckoned with because she is a counterculture to all of our instincts. So let me suggest for us today uh, some experiments that we, we might want to try, some experiments in love that we might want to try in order to wrestle with the money puzzle. There's a, a brilliant Christian writer 100 years ago named G.K. Chesterton, brilliant, hilarious writer, had a big influence on C.S. Lewis, um, and Chesterton was sort of the master of irony. Chesterton said of money, he said, there are two ways to deal with the stress that we feel over money. And the first is to make more of it, and the second is to desire less of it. So I want to propose to you some experiments in love that might help us to desire money less, to put down our stressful money puzzle, and instead, lean on the God who loves us and who wants to provide for us. Let me suggest just a few. I'm going to get rid of this because it's going to stress me out. Number one, uh, try this. Try a self-imposed luxury tax. I did this a few years ago, and I did it for at least 12 months. I might have done it for 18 months. I don't remember. Uh, but this is what I did. I decided that for every dollar I spent on myself that was simply on a luxury, simply on, you know, a latte, I would go and give a dollar away charitably to somebody else. Maybe give it to an individual, maybe make a donation to an organization. But I decided I'd luxury tax myself 100%. For every dollar I spent on myself, I was going to give a dollar away. So every time, if I spent $5 at a cafe, I was giving $5 away. Uh, and two things happened as a result of that experiment. Um, one, uh, I started to really enjoy creative generosity because suddenly I had this fund out of which to think of creative ways to give. Uh, it wasn't just a, a regular monthly uh, deduction from the, the bank account. It was a, a creative effort in which I had to concentrate on generosity and think, think about it. And secondly, uh, I drank a lot less lattes, right? Because <laughs> I had 50% as much money to spend on lattes. Uh, and that was probably healthy for me. But you know, there has not been a day since then where I've looked back and said, ooh, darn, I wish I had that money back. I, I, never, I never regretted it. And it was a good discipline for me. If you've never done anything that, like that before, give yourself a season, give yourself six months or a year, and uh, apply to yourself a self-imposed luxury tax and see what it does to your spending. Secondly, if you've never done this before, take this one on, support a child through Compassion International. Compassion International is an international organization that allows people in developed nations to sponsor kids in developing nations. Uh, my family has a picture on our refrigerator of a little girl in the Philippines who I actually met when I was over there on a mission trip. Her name is Princess Anne. And you make a monthly donation, I think it's a 30 some odd dollars a month, uh, and you send it to Compassion and that provides for the child's school and clothes and food. Uh, they're, they're in a church that offers Bible studies. You're providing for their physical needs and their spiritual needs, and it can actually revolution, revolutionize the life of a kid. You would not have any idea how much, what comes out to be, basically be a dollar a day, how much a difference that makes in certain parts of the world. Uh, and uh, so if you've never done that, um, I've followed kids all the way through childhood into their college years, and Compassion actually now allows you to help pay for a college education uh, which is very inexpensive in some parts of the world. Uh, and it changes, it changes the world. To help a kid living in abject poverty get on their feet changes the world forever. 
Uh, if you've never done it before, I'd encourage you to check that one out. Uh, number three, uh, try this one. Uh, if you have a charity that you like to give to, like Compassion International or anything else, try giving uh, uh, unusual gifts beyond your normal giving to that. So again, for instance, uh, I support a kid through Compassion International, and we give a, a monthly gift and exchange letters back and forth with Princess Anne. Um, but the Com Compassion International allows families once a year to give a family gift to the child that you're supporting. They call it a family gift. And it's a larger sum of money that you can send once a year to provide for whatever needs that family has. So last year, uh, Yolanda and I decided we'd do this because in the midst of the pandemic, when everybody's already financially stressed, the people in living in abject poverty get the worst of it. I mean, they were already uh, at, at minimal resources, and in the midst of a pandemic, lots of people stopped giving charitably. So we decided we'd give a family gift to this family in the Philippines that we support. And um, we got a letter back. Uh, Princess Anne is only now learning how to write, so we get letters from her mom and uh, Christine. And Christine sent us a letter and said, uh, as, uh, sent a picture that the Compassion staff had taken of, of everything they had bought with that gift. And they had this huge pile of, uh, it was food and clothes uh, and a little uh, clothes washing machine that I bet they were using now as a source of income. I bet they were washing neighbors' clothes uh, to make money. And I, I put that picture on our dining table for a few weeks um, because it was so inexpensive for us and it was probably the biggest gift they had ever gotten. And... At no point have I ever looked back at that and thought, I wish I had that money back. I mean, all it's made me want to do is, is give more. And, and so if you've never taken that opportunity to bless a, a charity that you already support or, or a person that you already support with a surprise gift, um, try that out and see what that does to your heart. See what that does to your stress over the, uh, the money puzzle. Uh, number four, uh, come down with us to Tijuana this year and help us build a house or a church. We've done this a few times now as a church. Uh, there's a church planting network in uh, Tijuana. There's a pastor down there who uh, set, a, set a goal of building 50 churches, and I think he's on 47 or something like that. So now his goal is 500 churches that he wants to build. And uh, we've gone down there and helped build houses for their pastors and uh, helped uh, renovate churches uh, that they're working on. Uh, come, come with us. As soon as, as soon as the way across the border is clear, we're going to go down there and do it again. Uh, come uh, support the mission or come on the mission. Uh, it, will, it will change your heart to see how other people in the world live and to be able to uh, help uh, share with them. Uh, number five, tithe. Uh, tithing is the biblical call for our giving, that we would give 10% of our income to help building the kingdom of heaven on earth. Uh, and so I, I, every year, my wife and I start out by dedicating 10% of our income to our local house of worship because we believe that there should be vital churches in our communities that are leading people to Jesus and making Jesus' name known. You and I in America might assume we are surrounded by a Christianized culture. In fact, we are surrounded by dying churches. There are not a lot of churches that are growing, and some experts think that maybe 20% or more of churches in the United States closed their doors last year in the midst of the pandemic. That's how we ended up being gifted a building. It was a church that could not sustain itself anymore. Uh, and that's how we, we ended up owning that property. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vital call to us to make sure that there are churches making Jesus known. 
After that, we then follow the biblical mandate of caring for the poor. And so after that, uh, my wife and I give to homeless providers because we want to help provide for those in the greatest need in our society, both here in the United States and across the world. Uh, after that, follow the biblical mandate of using your home as a mission center and take people into your home who are in need. Uh, during the pandemic last year, uh, we got a call from a teacher friend who said, I have a couple of students uh, international students who are being uh, kicked out of their boarding school because of the pandemic. This is March of 2020. Uh, I don't know what to do with them. And I said, well, we have a guest room. Send them to our house. And she said, she goes, okay, it'll probably just be about three weeks. <laughs> Remember that? March 2020? It'd be about three weeks. It was six months. Um, but, it was, but it was great. And one of those students came back for Thanksgiving and Christmas and spring break. And she came back and visited us again uh, at the beginning of the summer before she went home, home to Shanghai. Um, and she's become sort of an adopted kid in our family. Your home is a gift to you from God to use for ministry. It's not just a hideout. And so use the gifts that God has given you to bless the world in ministry. And see what that does to your anxiety over your money puzzle. See if God can't see blessings coming out of those places that you think are just burdens. Number six. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You might not think that has anything to do with money. That has everything to do with money because the Sabbath is one of the Bible's strongest statements on justice. It says, you are worth more than you produce. You are not designed to work seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. That is not what you are made for. Take one day out of every seven to rest and to be with God. Remember who you are. Remember who you were made to be. You are more than what you produce. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because the best way to take on materialism, to fight with your own materialistic instincts, is to luxuri uh, luxuriously indulge in the rejection of materialism. And that's what the Sabbath day is. Finally, uh, come up with one of your own and let me know how it goes. Uh, if it's really good, maybe you become a sermon illustration. Who knows? But take on that money puzzle that has control over you and it gives you nothing but stress and see what happens if you put it in the hands of God and let God's works shine through your resources. You know what I like about Jesus? He turns my blind spots into blessings. Now, I know when we talk about <clears throat> giving, for some people that's just one more worry. That's just one more puzzle piece to move around. And part of that is because uh, if you're not used to living generously, if you're not used to living charitably, that feels like it's going to be a change and it feels like it's going to mess up what stability you've achieved. Here are going to be the results of taking on a charitable lifestyle. Number one, they did a study just a few years ago, 2014, at the Harvard Business School. And they went out to university campuses and uh, this is what they did. Uh, they uh, gave a bunch of students, well, first they did a survey. They went up to a bunch of students and they said, would you be happier if we gave you $5 or $20? And everybody said, $20. Duh, thanks, Harvard. And then they said to everybody, uh, if we gave you that money and then uh, told you you have to spend it today, would you be happier if you bought something for yourself or if you bought something for someone else? And pretty much everybody said, if I bought something for myself, duh, thanks again, Harvard. Well, then they actually did the experiment. 
They went out to university campuses and they gave a certain group of students $5 and they gave a certain group of students $20. And they said, at the end of the day, text us, tell us what you did with it, and we're going to give you a survey of how happy today was. So they gave a bunch of students $5 and a bunch of students $20. And in each group, half of them were told, you have to spend this money on yourself today. And the other half were told, you have to spend this money on someone else today. And at the end of the day, they did the survey. Here were the results. The people who spent the money on someone else unilaterally reported having a happier day than the people who spent the money on themselves. And the people who, spent, who, the people who received $5 receive, uh, reported no more or less happiness than the people who received $20. That was actually ineffectual in determining how happy they were. Which tells me my intuitions about how the money puzzle works are wrong. And Jesus knows more about this life than I do. And I can take his word for it and see what happens. Or I can go through my entire life without following any of his teachings about money. And what a failure that would be. Religious hypocrites are terrible. The coffee table I am walking around in that scenario is the kingdom of God. Why would I live that way? There's a second result, and this one is promised in the scriptures, about 2,500 years ago, in a book called Malachi, chapter 3. God says to the people, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus does not want you to live a stressed life. Jesus wants you to be free. So put down the money puzzle the way the widow in the temple did. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that there's no part of our lives that you can't see that there is nothing that you are not aware of. And I thank you that in the deepest places of need and in the deepest places of fear, you are still God. So teach us to open up our hands and to release our anxieties into your hands. Teach us to stop fighting and struggling over that which belongs to you. Teach us to release those puzzles that we're fighting with to allow you to solve them. Give us the grace to see those places where we've been blind, the blind spots that you want to turn into blessings. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.